0: Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. Polygamy has been tightly intertwined with the Adam-God theory. Some say that's why the LDS Church no longer believes in it, because it leads many to believe in polygamy. Does Paul Toscano believe that? We'll find out more in our next conversation with him. You won't want to miss it. Check it out. Are you a believer in Adam-God, then? Well... When it comes to
1: belief, i am i, I told You're an agnostic. You, I'm kind of a—I'm an agnostic in the sense that I have days when I believe and days when I don't. So there's peaks and troughs to my faith. I, I, I can't maintain a steady belief. It's too much, you know. I mean, I listen to stuff on YouTube. I don't know if I can believe anymore in the reality of you know material things. I'm told that they—it's not really there. It's just my perception, and yet, I. I still look behind me when I back my car out. <laughs> I, mean, I, I still think there's solid stuff, and yet I'm told by scientists it's not really there. It's mostly in space. So what, what am I to believe? Do, am I, I don't know what I believe, but I believe the text is a visionary text that's trying to tell us something about the nature of reality that's deeper than our perceptions. It says that God doesn't insulate himself from pain, that God is willing to reverse roles with us, that he's not willing to dominate as a patriarch, that there's a matriarch of equal dignity with him that should be a message to us about how we organize our power structures on earth, that that he makes an angel his divinity so that he doesn't force patriarchy on his creation. I mean, there's a message in that that is visionary, that informs how we should organize ourselves with economics, with sex, with politics, with how we organize our power structures. But I think it's more spiritual than that. It's how we organize ourselves. It's how we think about ourselves and our relationship to God. So, yes, I, I do believe that Joseph Smith was trying to, even with his polygamy thing that backfired,
0: well, because that, that's exactly where I wanted to go because, I, you know, I had uh, Benjamin Schaefer and David Patrick on where we talked about Adam God. And I know Lindsay Hanson Park said one of the reasons why the church won't—the church refuses to acknowledge Adam God anymore is because if you do, then you have to believe in polygamy. But you said you don't believe in polygamy. Absolutely not. So how's— and clearly, you've definitely got different ideas than than Ben and David. Um, do you understand the argument that fundamentalists make that Adam God leads you to to believe in polygamy, and, and why is that wrong? I guess that's where. Well,
1: I don't. I I'm not. Uh, I don't care enough about the fundamentalism to have made a study of fundamentalist belief, either in or out of the church because I think fundamentalism is a problem. It is basically a rejection of nuance and a rejection of possibilities. You're settling on what you know to be true, which you can't know. That's why I, I, I'm not like Denver Snuffer. He's stronger than I am about what he believes. He, he says he's seen the Lord. If I had, I wouldn't tell anybody because I wouldn't want them to believe me because the Lord appeared to me. I think the Lord appears to a lot of people who you shouldn't trust. Just because the Lord appears to them, it means he loves them and he's trying to heal them or redeem them or do something. It doesn't mean we should pay any attention to them. I have the same view of angels. Just because an angel appears and tells you something, they could be stupider than I am. <laughs> Just because they're dead, it doesn't mean they know any more than I do. You have to test things. You have to think about them. And I don't think that Adam, God, my, they believe that Adam is superior to Jesus. I, I believe that Michael, an inferior archangel to the almighty God. Will, okay, let me go back and tell you how I get to this. In the book of Abraham, which I, I understand is uh, problematical because we don't have the scrolls and I don't think there were any scrolls. I believe he was just, getting a revelation, and started to believe he was a translator. I would have sat down with him and said, okay, you're not, because you need to know both languages. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't. So um, I
0: think So see, you're more of a catalyst theory. The I don't theory.
1: have a theory. I don't care
0: about the scrolls.
1: Okay, I'm looking at the theology that it's revealing. And okay. in there, in, and I think the third chapter of Abraham, again, I'm not great on chapter and verse now, as I used to be. But there's a, there's a council, and they're going to try to decide something. And it has to do with Satan, who's going to be—the way the church understands it is, is God is deciding who to send to earth to be the Savior. That's not what it says. The Lord is conducting the meeting. He's the God that's presiding, Jesus Christ. And the fight isn't about who's going to be the Savior. The fight is going to be who's going to be Adam, Michael or Lucifer. Now, Lucifer would like to be Adam and Christ. He says that there's a passage later where that comes out. But in this council, the the God, uh, God is presiding over a decision of who's going to be Adam. Michael, who's like unto God, or Lucifer, who's this bright, shining, Morning Star, who is going to be it? Well, Lucifer says I should do it because my plan is simply to get everybody in lockstep sync, and we're going to march arms akimbo back into the celestial kingdom with no trouble at all. Because I want to kick butt and take names. Michael, who happens to be the war angel, the captain of the Lord's host, according to the Revelation of John. It says, well, you know, I've seen war. That doesn't change anybody's mind. It doesn't convert anyone. They just, they'll do it out of fear. And they'll all have, you know, they'll come back into celestial kingdom, but they'll all have laundry stains because they're scared to death. But they're not going to glow. They're not going to really believe. You have to let them work it out. And that's the decision that's happening in that council. Hmm. And, and when it says, when it's Adam, God, is, it's only that Christ descends through Adam and then Adam becomes his father in this role reversal I've talked about. But it's not that Adam was superior to Jesus because the, evangel- they not the, the fundamentalists don't believe that it's a re- role reversal. They, they see it in Orson Hyde's chart. They see that chart. Of the ladder. Of the ladder, and that Jesus has his nose looking at the hind end of the God in front of him, and that God has got his nose in behind it. That is absurd. <laughs> it's insulting. And besides, Christ is the only infinite being that can do an infinite atonement. The, other, uh, the rest of us aren't infinite in that sense. We may be co-eternal with God, but that isn't the same meaning as infinite that are, that, you know, it's not the same concept. I don't. In any case, I don't see how my idea of role reversals has anything to do my version of Adam God. And the role reversal idea is in the speech that Joseph Smith gives in 1839. He says, Adam, who is the father of the spirits and all of this and presides over the spirits and bodies of all men, when. When, at Adam on Dayam, Christ will come and he will deliver his keys over to Christ. Well, it's not delivering the keys downward, it's delivering them upward. Because Christ presides as the Supreme Being. He is, and the Holy Ghost is always with him because that's what it means to have, that's his constant companion, <laughs> literally his companion. His constant companion is she who is the Holy Spirit. Always with him. That's why he's called the anointed. That's why he's called Christ, because he's always anointed with her all the time. That was the meaning of the woman who comes into into the meeting with Simon the leper when Jesus is talking, and then this woman comes in and wa- washes his feet and anoints him with oil. And he says, wherever the gospel is preached, this should be mentioned, because it's a symbol of the fact that he is always with her. And that is represented in Jehovah and Eve and and Michael and Mary. And I think a lot of the angels come in these twin Things, not all of them, but a lot of them do, hmm. and a lot of them are not. According to Joseph Smith, a lot of the heavenly beings are beasts, and some of them will scare the pants off you. And so, the creation is much more. I think what Joseph Smith—you gotta remember—Joseph Smith is is coming out of a magic worldview. He, the dominance of science hasn't happened yet. It happens in the 1850s and 60s, and but it, it's it's creeping up. And that's the time of the Gentiles. And he's laying out this weird Baroque theology, which, you know, who's going to buy it? And I'm not trying to sell it. I'm just saying that if you look at Mormonism very carefully, there's more to it than uh, is in your philosophy,
0: (laughs) Horatio. Well, can you comment a little bit about um, you, you, you said earlier, we were talking about polygamy, where did Joseph go wrong on polygamy?
1: Well, I think the idea of one man with many women is just exactly the idea of, that I'm talking about. It's patriarchy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's misogyny. It, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it basically is signaling that one man has the value of many women and it takes many women to, and basically their only value is in reproducing other men to preside over other women. I mean, it's an absurd thing. I I don't think Joseph was right about it at all. Polygamy now, uh, what we're talking about is polygyny. That's the real term. which means one man, many women. That's totally wrong. Polyandry, which is one woman, many men, is equally wrong. If you're talking about polygamy, where you have multiple marriages, that's what the word polygamy really means. Mm -hmm. And you say that you're going to have people that are, you know, I'm going to be 77, and so... What I'm going to say now is very unappealing to me, (laughs) but it might be what he had, what what was intended, is that you're trying to figure out a way where adults can have sex with more than one adult and still be responsible for the children which are born as a result of those relationships. Is that going to be possible? I think that's what Joseph Smith was trying to do when he said, "I." I want to create a sexual revolution. I think. Mean,
0: well, I mean, the fundamentalist idea is a man marries multiple women, these women have eternal babies. These babies populate the planet. Yeah, planets. but after that. Then you become a, a wasp. So <laughs> become a wasp, literally.
1: <laughs> Instead of a white Anglo Saxon Protestant, you could become an actual wasp, a wasp, or a beehive, only in reverse, because the queen bee is a female and all the workers are. You have a few drones. No, they the They they don't want that. The fundamentalists. They want a patriarchal harem. Right. It's I. It's about. It's an abomination to me. In my view. Is that what Joseph Smith was trying to do? I don't know what he was trying to do. I think that's what happened. I think that's how he was perceived by the guys around him. Who you know suddenly they're thinking, oh wow, I can have sex with more than one gal, maybe. It doesn't turn out that way because they get old. Some, it becomes a tremendous burden for the men and the women. And I don't think it has any value or reality to it. I don't think it brings you closer to God. In other words, if you believe in salvation by works, which I don't, I believe salvation is by grace. You're saved by grace after all you can do. And in spite of all you can do, you're saved by grace. But but the polygamists believe that they're saved by the works of Abraham, which they call it the works of Abraham, there's polygamy. Well, I, I don't believe that you're saved by works. I don't believe a man who just sees women as a mechanism for having to build a kingdom is not seeing them as people. It's, a, it's an objectification and a denigration and a devaluation. My idea of the Adam God is that God the Mother and God the Father, Jesus and let's say Eve, are on an equal footing, and it hasn't anything to do with polygamy. Now, that doesn't mean that I think all polygamists are evil. I think they're just misguided, and I think polygamy is a, her- a heresy. But I also think that a separate Heavenly Father and a separate Son, and that the Father is the superior and he sends his Son to die on a cross to save his creation, is also a heresy. It's capitalism. (laughs) It's a theological manifestation of owners exploiting workers.
0: So is 132, uh, for lack of a better word, revelation of the devil? Or what what would you say? It could be. I mean, the devil
1: is insinuating himself into things, I suppose. It's just wrong. My key to reading scriptures if it makes god look bad it's not true okay that's just it it's some old protestant or old or christian or old somebody putting in what they feel they need i don't know where the, this i don't know why people who believe in jesus dying on the cross and see him riveted to a cross can possibly believe that suddenly sacrifice and he says take up your cross and follow me that that is going to turn into reducing women to this marriage where you have one man and many women i mean i just can't see it uh, the egalitarianism I mean, talk about, you know, that comes from this anti-Mosiah, anti-Abinadi theory of God the Father and God the Son, and this is the presiding person, and they can have women and wives, and I'm sorry, I, I, I imagine some of those men treat their wives well. And they love their children, and they believe very strongly in this, and somehow they manage to feel something about it. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I just don't want to see it. I just don't see it as godly as a revelation.. Okay. I, I see it any more than I think of the Pope's robes as a revelation, or the cathedrals as, you know, they're beautiful, they're inspired. But I don't see that as somehow, I think probably I think more, I have more respect for the cathedrals than I do to polygamy. But I'm trying to say that there's an outward, there are outward things that get attributed to Christianity, which I, some of them are fine, like cathedrals, but some of them are not
0: good. Uh huh. Well, so... I mean, this does bring up ceiling too. I, I kind of want to talk about that because one thirty-two. The ceilings I believe in. You do believe in ceilings. I mean, the what I believe in anything because the ceilings they are not. were not originally
1: marriage ceilings. They were ceilings of cohorts of individuals together into groups. I think that there there are people that have affinity to one another, and that and, and it isn't just. Marriage ceilings. It was bigger. It got reduced to marriage ceilings, and then it got reduced. You know, it became polygamy, and then it got reduced to monogamy, and then it gets reduced to this idea of the nuclear family. But I think the ceilings had to do with the ceilings of, um, you know, like let's take the quorum of the twelve apostles. There, there could be a feeling among some of them or a certain group of the apostles that they want to be sealed together because they have worked hard. You know together and they are friends and they and their wives know each other and they might be sealed as a cohort you know of people i could see something like that but i i don't think it's i don't think the ceilings were intended to instantiate polygamy or polyandry or polygyny or even the biological family i think one of the other great heresies of mormonism is the proclamation on the family oh wow that is a horrible thing the family isn't what saves. The family family is the thing that has to be saved. People have to be saved from their families. Jesus says you have to leave father and mother. He, he, this proclamation on the family—you uh, have to be that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You have to be born again and and become a member of the family of Christ. It, it the proclamation on the family is is the new gospel, which is basically very this-worldly. And there are people now feel trapped in their families. They get trapped, a person who's gay is born into a very conservative family and they're punished, it's humiliating and punishing even though the parents don't mean to do it. And they're trapped in a family that's intolerant. They're trapped, a girl trapped in a family that wanted boys, a farm family where the one kid, one girl wants to go to New York and be a ballerina. <laughs> I mean, the the earthly family is not the uh, mechanism of salvation, it's the object of salvation. And so is the church. The church doesn't save, the church is what needs to be saved. And so we have people bearing testimony of the church and losing their testimony in the church. Well, don't
0: put your trust.
1: You should not put your trust in either the church or its leaders because they will disappoint. Because they're just people.
0: So one of the Den- one of the things that Denver said that I just love. I don't know if he even still stands by this anymore, but I love the idea of separating sealing power from polygamy. You know, and a one thirty two kind of conflates them and and that sort of a thing. Um, so you you are still on board with sealing as a, as a good concept, but polygamy is a bad concept. Is well, I I
1: second? think polygamy is bad. Polygyny, polyandry, mm-hmm. uh, and polygamy. Uh, I I don't think I don't think it can work on Earth. Limited resources, jealousies, contentions, and strife. It, I think it's not going to work. Some people can force it to work, but maybe make it work because they have that temperament, but it's certainly not, I would not, it's not part of the gospel or the fullness of the gospel. The sealing is, because what you have in the sealings, the main thing about sealing I haven't mentioned, which is sealing to eternal life, sealing to Christ. Sealing as a member of the priesthood, the holy priesthood after the order of the Son of God, which is the second anointing sealing. The sealing into that order, of priesthood, and why is it called that? Well, according to our apostles, who I can't excoriate enough because <laughs> they are terrible, even though they may have these callings legitimately, because they think a second anointing gives them a free pass. They think that if you have your second anointing, you're not, you know, that. You can suffer for your own sins, but if you commit them, you're going to always be saved. Well, Oliver Cowdery told the Twelve in 1835, at the time that witnesses call the Twelve first Corner of the Twelve, Your ordinations are not complete until God himself has laid his hand upon you. The ordinances of the temple, as I point out in this book, <laughs> Second edition, by the way. There's a second edition. There's one that's got a blue cover. Ignore it. This is better. (laughs) Um, The second anointing, the whole temple ceremony that leads up to the second anointing, these are metaphors. They're symbols. They're rituals. They're not the thing itself. Baptism doesn't mean anything, said Joseph Smith, unless it's accompanied by the Holy Spirit. Confirmation, the laying on the hands, doesn't mean anything unless you receive the Holy Spirit. You're commanded, it's a commandment, receive the Holy Spirit. And the temple ordinances, which you go through four stages of the temple, you go through the initiatory ordinances and you get a lecture on the creation and all of this, but then you finally get to the actual ordinances, which are divided into the Moses segment, Elias, Elijah, and Messiah, just like it says in the 110th section. Most people don't see it. And but there it is, and it ends, and the Messiah section ends with the second anointing. Well, the second anointing is meaningless unless it the spirit comes upon you. And that spirit is not the spirit of friendship that you have in a quorum. It's not the deacons, all you know, cup scouts we we don't have that anymore. and. Uh, uh, Or, you know, the elders quorum putting a roof on the widow's house, which I hate because it puts the roofer out of work and then the widow doesn't have a a warranty on the roof. (laughs) Just come up with the money and hire a roofer. (laughs) But we like comradeship. Well, comradeship is a, it's not you know, working together in the Council of the Twelve, I really don't know how much really comradeship they have there. I suspect that they it's not as great as what we'd like to think. But comradeship is not the same as friendship. And it certainly isn't the same as becoming a friend of God, which is the whole point of the second anointing. And so comradeship dissipates after the work is done. The battle is over, the platoon is dismissed, and then goes back into uh, society, society, non-military life. Yeah, there can be real friends that happen in the platoon, but that's different from comradeship, because comradeship is transactional. I've got your back if you've got mine. Friendship is not transactional, and the friendship with God is not transactional. I owe you. I want something from you, God, so I'll worship you. It is actually loving the Lord, and I don't. You know that's not transactional.
0: I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Paul Toscano. In our next conversation, Paul is going to take aim at Mormon culture and things he doesn't like about it.
1: Life's bad. They excommunicated me. Mm-hmm. They excommunicated Margaret and Levina and Mike Quinn. Mm-hmm and Lynn Whitesides and a whole bunch of other people for trying to get them to choose love and not power. Love does not manifest itself by separating yourself and dressing in white and standing in front of the Christian statue. It's picking up the phone and calling Paul Toscano in 1992 and saying, Paul, what are you talking about? We don't want you outside the church. Why? Come on up. Talk to us. But Boyd Packer wouldn't do that because Boyd Packer never understood the difference between the church and the Air Force.
0: Thanks for listening to Gospel Tangents. If you'd like to hear the entire interview uncut, please subscribe at patreon.com gospeltangents gospel tangents. You can hear the entire interviews there. Also, check out our new, improved, uh, user-friendly website at gospeltangents.com. We've made it much more user-friendly, so check that out. Click here to subscribe, here for a transcript, and over here we've got more of our great videos. Thanks again.